0: Today's reading is Jonah 1, 1 through 16. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God, and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? What people are you from? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, The men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students, you may head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated.
1: Good job. Well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. Yes, I love it. I love it. Uh, it's good to be here with you guys this morning. We, uh, we've gone through a couple sermon series in the last few months. We had uh, a series on the story of Scripture where we walked through uh, the acts of the biblical narrative, creation, fall, Israel, redemption, ch- church, and then coming restoration. Uh, then we took three weeks uh, to focus on formation. Hopefully, this is ringing some bells, right? Beth, Daniel, and I were up here a couple months ago talking about where the the framework that we wanna move forward as a church focusing on story, formation, and and mission. So we had three weeks on formation, um, which was phenomenal. And especially to highlight, if you weren't here with us last week or if you haven't had a chance to go back and watch last week's sermon, Um, I would strongly recommend that. You are missing out. Beth shared about worship in a way that I have never experienced before and was incredible. And I know she's squirming because she hates this stuff. But seriously, go back and check out this sermon if you haven't had a chance to to watch. It is phenomenal. Uh, So now, over the summer, where are we going? We're going to spend about three weeks in the book of Jonah, we're gonna do chapter one today, two and three next week. We're gonna take a break and hear from our youth on, on Fifth Sunday, from some of the camps and things that have been going on, and then we'll wrap up Jonah chapter four the following week. We'll spend some time in Corinthians, and then in the fall, we're gonna have a series focusing on mission, so story, formation, mission. So that's where we're going. Now, admittedly, I understand you guys spent some time in the book of Jonah a few years ago. Uh, and I've actually gone back and listened to those sermons. They are incredible. If you're a person who is really interested in, in the history, in the genre, the, the, the type of narrative, right? Jonah is a, is satire. I highly recommend you check those out. They're incredible sermons. So why would we come back to Jonah after just a few years? Well, because of our framework. Story, formation, mission. Jonah's understanding of God's story Forms him to respond to mission or to respond to other people in a certain way. So we'll be taking a slightly different take on the book. This go-around, it'll be a little bit different. We'll talk about some of the same things, but with a slightly different focus. That's what we're doing. Now, Jonah, if you start to get into the scholarly articles and the academia of Jonah, there's been a lot of research done on this book because it's a, it's a weird book. It, it's a powerful story, um, but keep in mind, it's, it's, it's literature, right? It's in the it's inspired word of God. It's part of the canon. So that means it's, in, it's authoritative and it's satire. So we're going to see these things. Uh, the hope is as we walk through this book, we begin to realize one major thing. Um, it's easy to make fun of Jonah. Jonah. It's easy to think that he is a numbskull, and I'll do a little bit of that in the sermon today, you'll see. Uh, But the reality is, unfortunately, I see a lot of myself in Jonah. If we're honest, I think we see a lot of ourselves, a lot of us in Jonah. So the prayer is that this part of God's story would continue to form us as it has informed his people since it was first written, it would continue to form us and shape us for the purpose of mission, for loving God, understanding who He is, and displaying that to other people through our words and our deeds. Make sense? All right, that's where we're going. Will you guys pray with me before we jump in? Father, we thank you for your word. There are times that your word brings so much hope and life and comfort. Lord, it is a firm foundation, it is the light unto our path, it is all of these beautiful things, and Lord, at times your word is a sword, and it cuts, and it divides, and it reveals the spaces and places in our heart where we still need you. We need you a lot. And so, Lord, would you do those things? Would you provide hope today? Would you provide a mirror that will show us uh, who we are and the areas that need attention? And then uh, would we turn to you for that attention? For your care, Lord, would your spirit move to continue to help us to love you more, continue to help us to love other people more. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're gonna jump into this book of Jonah. We're gonna start in Jonah chapter one. This is what it says. If you have your uh, pew Bible, we're on page 774. We're in between Obadiah and Micah, Uh, Jonah is a minor prophet kind of towards the end of your Old Testament Uh, if you can't find it still um, check out your table of contents or do a Google search Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 I'm reading from the NIV the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. We're going to stop there. So we see Jonah. We learn that Jonah's a prophet. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. This is familiar for how a lot of the uh, books of the prophets start. The word of the Lord came to so-and-so. In this case, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against it to call out its sins, to speak truth to it. And typically in this pattern of the word of the Lord coming to the prophets, then the prophet would get up and go do what the Lord said because the word of the Lord came to them. Now, I don't know how the word of the Lord came to him. I don't know if it was an audible voice or, or how this happened, but there's clarity that the word of the Lord came to, jo- to Jonah. Jonah understood that this is the word of the Lord, and he literally did the exact opposite of what God told him to do. Here's the thing, church. There is a way that Jonah was right. I'm going to make an argument that from a worldly perspective, Jonah was right. Nineveh was the greatest city in the Assyrian Empire. What is Assyria known for? Well, if you if you look into this according to National Geographic and the Smithsonian and all the articles that I read, they were the forerunners of terrorists. The Assyrian Empire was brutally violent. They did horrific things to terrify all of the surrounding nations. They were intentionally brutal. In their practices of war and of ruling those they had conquered. The Assyrians uh, were, were the first documented nation to, to uh, use impaling enemies. And they would do, sorry, this is going to get a little uh, intense here, so if, if there's kids, you should have gone to King's Quest, <laughs> my, my own son included. <laughs> they would start the impaling in the body cavity and let the weight of the person sink down. And that would be placed around the cities for all to see. They would remove flesh and decorate the outer walls with it. They invented crucifixion. All These weren't just like, oh, somebody had an idea one day and thought they would try this. This was sent to convey a message. They were brutal, brutal in how they dealt with other nations. They were the evil superpower of the day. So it's not like Jonah is just some nincompoop who's like, I don't know, God, I don't think I'm gonna listen to you today. No, I wonder if there was a a train of thought that went something like this. These are the most brutal people in the world. If God is against them, this is good for the world. The oppression will stop. The violence and the torture will stop. The terrorism will stop. There's a way that Jonah makes sense I mean, think about it, right? We, we just started re-watching the Star Wars movies with our boys, okay? So if you can remember Star Wars, remember when we meet Luke and he's with, like, his aunt and uncle? Okay, so imagine the uncle. His name was Owen. Imagine the word of the Lord comes to Uncle Owen and says, Go to the Death Star and speak against the Empire to Darth Vader. Now, here's some context. Luke is the one with the lightsaber and the force. Owen is just the uncle. Owen is like the farmer who's always dusty because he's like out in the field. Some of you guys even know what those are called. I'm not that much of a Star Wars fan. Right? But this isn't like Owen, the military strategist, the like stealth ninja assassin who's going to sneak in. Like, no, he's just a dude. Go speak on behalf of the Lord against Darth Vader in the heart of the Death Star. This is terrifying. This makes no sense. Right, this is like the Ukrainian grandma in the village go march to Moscow and speak against what Vladimir Putin is doing in Moscow. Like, her? With which tanks? What army will ensure her safety? Well, the word of the Lord said so. So here's the deal, guys. There's a way that Jonah was right, but but God's story is better because God's story says that we serve a God who is love, who cares about justice, who wants the evil empire to repent, who wants to end the violence and the brutality and the oppression and the terror, who wants all of those things to come to an end and to save the people who are perpetrating this oppression. That God's grace extends not just for people who are nice and do helpful things, but for the most evil enemy you can imagine, God's love is extended for them as well. There are opportunities for their grace and their forgiveness in church. This is good news because I need the same thing. Because here's the deal. Maybe I haven't committed murder, but Jesus, well, Jesus raises the bar and he says, if I'm angry with my brother, it is the same. Maybe I haven't committed adultery, but Jesus raises the bar and says, if I even lust, it is the same thing. God is holy. He calls his people to be holy, to be an accurate reflection of what he is like for the watching world who doesn't yet know him. We fall short. But God's love is bigger. God's story is better. Because God is powerful, God can tell Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against it. And because God says so, Jonah will be protected. Because Jonah carries a message of hope and God is faithful and God is loving and God is kind, there is opportunity for repentance for those in Nineveh and for us today. Jonah was right, but God's story is so much better. So we see Jonah, the word of the Lord comes to him, tells him to go to Nineveh, preach against it, and now this is where, this is where we begin to see the satire, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna reveal my next point before we get into the passage so you guys can be looking for it. Here's the reality. There is a way Jonah is right, but there's also a way. Jonah's a clown. Watch, this is what I mean by this. Jonah's a clown. So we pick up, word of the Lord comes to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh, Drop down to verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, if you had a map, we couldn't find Tarshish because we're not really sure where it is, but we do know it's in the general opposite direction of Nineveh. So the Lord speaks to Jonah, go right. Jonah goes left. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, Jonah's a good Jewish boy. He knows the law. He, know that, he knows that he can't go up to the mountaintops because God will be there or try to flee from him in the depths. God is there also. He knows that God created the heavens and the earth. We'll see that later. He knows these things. But Jonah's like, no, 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 I got a plan. Yes, God is everywhere. But if I go to Joppa and get on a boat... Perhaps the all-seeing, all-knowing God creator of the universe will not see me there. Think about this. We just got, maybe you guys saw the, the pictures from the telescope, right, like this last week that are so beautiful of like farthest reaches of space. Humans just saw that. God spoke that into existence how long ago? This is not news for God. God's like, oh, yeah, that, that's in my backyard. I know where that is. But Jonah thinks he can get on a boat from Joppa to Tarshish, and God's going to be like, I don't know. Where did, I told Jonah to do something, I think. Where did he go? <sighs> then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, with such a, uh, and such a violent storm arose in the, that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were terrified, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. There's a storm so severe that the sailors, the people who sail for a living, who have seen all kinds of weather patterns, are freaking out, okay? Like the professionals don't know what to do. Jonah's response, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. This is satire, like this is silliness, right? The ship is threatening to break apart, and Jonah's like, I don't know, I'm a little sleepy. Let's, I saw some nice pillows down there. Let's go for a nap. In this time of chaos, in the sailors' lives, they're f- fearing for their lives, Jonah's going to take a rest. The captain went down to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah, as if Jonah didn't already know, right? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, he ran the opposite direction, he's watching the sailors cast lots like, I don't know, maybe it'll point to someone else, maybe someone offended God more than I did, like who knows what this character is thinking, So it falls to Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Okay. Jonah tells them he worships the Lord of heaven who made the sea and the land, Yet this clown thinks he can go from the land onto the sea that God made and God won't be able to track him down. Jonah is a clown. But so are we. <laughs> so am I. I. I asked my youngest son, Micah, permission for this story and he gave me permission. Um, it was, he was three or four years old We were at a friend's house. It was on Easter uh, after our service, and and we had gone for a quick lunch to to hang out with some friends from our old church, and they had, it's Arizona, remember, so they had barrel cactus in their front yard, right, like these big, round, they look like a barrel, so they call them barrel cactus, and uh, the dad and I were were outside with the kids, and, and, you know, Micah's three or four, so I'm like, hey, buddy, make sure you stay away from the barrel cactus, Now, we're not quite sure what happened in his mind. I like to pretend that it went something like this. My son wanted to be an Olympic athlete and thought that he could run and hurdle over the barrel cactus at three years old. That's what I think happened in his mind. What happened in, like what we saw in real life was he ran, he heard me say, stay away from the cactus. He looked at it, he looked at me, he ran, and he just like belly flopped on top of the cactus, and the other dad looks at me, and, and just straight face, he said, I've never seen anything like this, <laughs> and I'm like, well, me neither, right, and, and I remember, like, kneeling down, you know, we get him off, and, and we're plucking the, the cactus spines out of his torso, and I remember asking him, like, why did you do that, knowing he had no good reason right? Like, he's three or four years old. Well, dad, my logical sequence was, like, there's no good reason, but I asked it anyway, and he was like, I don't know. And if I'm honest, that's me. I know I should work out regularly. I should get plenty of sleep. I should drink lots of water. I don't do it. I know I should eat healthy and take multivitamins. I don't do that. I know that every single day I should read massive amounts of God's word and spend time in prayer and meditation. I don't do it as much as I want. I don't have a good reason. I know what I should do, and I don't do it. Now, you guys are awesome, so maybe you don't suffer with the same thing that I do, but at least Paul in the New Testament describes this very thing. The good that I ought to do, I know I should do it, but I don't do it. I do the sin sin that so easily entangles the sin that's inside. That's what I always do. We need a savior. And so we can look at Jonah and poke fun at his slapstick obedience, right? Go this way, oop, oop, opposite direction. The God who made the sea won't find me on the sea. I'm gonna go take a nap in the middle of the storm that's terrifying the professional sailors. But church, if I'm honest, that's me too. And I wonder if, if that may be you as well. We have great plans. We have great ideas for the things that we're gonna do and how we're gonna do better and we're gonna try hard and we're gonna really change our behavior and at the end of the day, we need Jesus. We need a savior. We need someone to save us from our sins, from our direct disobedience to God and what he tells us to do. And there's lots of promises of how we can do better but at the end of the day, you and I both know because we have tried them it falls short. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own, just as Jonah couldn't do it on his own. He had a way to justify that he was right, just like I have a way to justify that I am right, and I know what God's word says, and I need Jesus to help me. Because here's the reality, Jonah fails. At least according to chapter one, Jonah fails. He answered them, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they said, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, here's some further satire. Jonah just told them what's going on, that this God who's Lord of heaven and the land and the sea is creating this storm because of his disobedience. The soldiers here or the sailors hear the solution, throw Jonah in the sea. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. Like, did they not already try that? They're sailors, like I would think that they would at least try to row, right? Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, surprise, for the sea grew grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So this is like an interesting little part of the passage here because we do see the sea grow calm. But we have to ask some questions. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and told Jonah to do what? I know somebody's been listening. (laughs) Go to Nineveh, thank you, I, I appreciate you. To go to Nineveh and to preach against it. Okay, Jonah didn't know the fish was coming. We know that part of the story. Jonah didn't know that part of the story. Jonah ran away in disobedience. God sent the storm. Jonah's response was sailors, side note, put my blood on your hands, throw me into the sea. You see what I'm getting at here? Jonah didn't have like a life raft that his plan was to go row over to Nineveh. They couldn't row anywhere. The sea, the storm grew even more and more wild. Jonah's response was, throw me into the ocean with no hope of rescue. Jonah thought he was going to win. Jonah thought he figured out a way that he could be disobedient to the Lord. But God had something else in mind. So at this point in the story, Jonah is a failure. But... Where Jonah fails, Jesus succeeds. And when we start to think through the lens of Jesus or read this story through the lens of Jesus, we see all of these really interesting parallels. Jonah disobeyed God's word, Jesus is the word of God who was wholly obedient in everything he did. Jonah tried to flee God's presence Everywhere that Jesus went, he brought God's presence. Think about it. Jesus meets whoever. You know, if you've been in church, you know some of these stories, right? The sick people come to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't receive their contamination. Rather, he makes them clean. The lepers come who would, should, according to the law, have made him unclean. Rather, he absorbs that and gives them his holiness, his presence of God. The blind who cannot see are restored their sight. The woman who was hemorrhaging for 12 years is brought back to health. The dead daughter is raised from the dead. Time and time again, we see the presence of God flow out of who Jesus is. Everywhere he went, he spoke words of life. He displayed who God is through his actions. It wasn't just like, oh, the, the, the people are easily distracted, so I'm going to have Jesus do some like fancy miracles to catch their attention. It's not how God operates. Jesus showed what God is like and His kingdom is like through every single thing that He did. That's why there was healings. That's why the demons were terrified. Son of man, have you come before your time? Like, send us into the pigs, and He does because he's holy and he brought this holy presence of God wherever he goes. That's why we're commanded as his people, be holy as I am holy. This is a missional command. Act like God so you can show other people what God is like. That's what we're called to, that's what Jonah was called to. Jonah tried to escape through sleep in the middle of a storm. We see a similar story where Jesus is resting in a boat but he was trusting in God. He told his disciples, we're on this side of the lake, we're gonna to go to that side of the lake. As they're traveling through the lake, there's a storm. Jesus said it, aka God said it, it's going to happen so Jesus could rest. Jesus wakes up and speaks calm to the storm. Jonah wakes up and continues his disobedience. He doesn't call out to God. He doesn't use his voice to call out to the one who can actually save, right, The the sailors are the ones who call out. The storm was Jonah's fault. But in Jesus, we see one who was faultless. The sailors begin to fear the Lord. Jonah talks about he serves the Lord who is God of the heavens, who created the land and the sea, Jesus says, I am. I am that God. He is above the sailors. Jesus is above Jonah. He is above every other human throughout history. Where we see Jonah create this situation where he can be removed from God's supposedly call on his life through the sailors throwing him into the ocean, into the sea. We see Jesus stepping forward as a willing sacrifice. Jonah's plan was to die for his own sin. In Jesus, we see a Savior who dies for our sin. At the end, we see the sailors praying to God for forgiveness. Don't put this man's blood on us. But yet we see Jesus praying for his executioners. Father, forgive them, they know not what they're doing. Jesus is the better Jonah to steal a line from Tim Tim Keller. So how does this form us? I think a few things. One, there are people in all of our lives That we don't want to see forgiven, if we're honest. We all have a Nineveh. My challenge for us over the next few weeks is that we would pray and ask the Spirit to reveal who is our Nineveh. So we do study questions that go out, right, after each sermon, questions you can ask in small groups or for personal reflections. I think it's the first question. Who is your Nineveh? There may be some, uh, a group of people or a person that comes to mind quickly. Okay? Thank God for that. Feel free to pray for that. Continue to pray because it may take some more time for the Spirit to really uncover some of the more deep-seated Ninevehs in our heart. That's something I would challenge all of us to pray for. Who is our Nineveh? The second question is how are we going to respond? Are we going to respond in the way of Jonah, or are we going to respond in the way of Jesus? Now, there may be people or person that you can think of, and you are right. There's a reason you should withhold forgiveness. There's a reason you do not want to demonstrate the love of God for them. You may be justified until Jesus starts to say things like, love your enemies. Until we see in the pages of scripture, pray for those who persecute you. Until we see one of the things that is clearly marked the people of God as distinct throughout church history is sacrificial love for the other and it doesn't matter if you're right. We're still called to something more. Now, I don't say this lightly. I understand that there may be years of hurt, trauma, abuse, any number of things that can make this very, very difficult. I'm not asking you to do something foolish, not asking you to, to do something unsafe. I'm asking you to take it up with God. And I trust that he will lead us forward in wisdom to seek reconciliation, to seek opportunities, to share who he is with people who don't yet know him. And the fact of the matter is, we cannot do it without Jesus. This is hard. This is hard work to step out in vulnerability, to make ourselves open for rejection and hurt, but this is the path of taking up your cross and following our Savior. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to come to the table, (laughs) because that's the reminder of who we are and who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So church, will you pray with me? (sighs) Jesus, it's scary to follow you sometimes, and it's hard. And I think of the words of Peter. When you, give the challenge, uh, to your, when you gave the challenge to your disciples, will you leave also? And he says, where would we go? You have the words of life. You have the best story. Lord, for many of us, we have experienced you. We know your goodness, we know your power. We know that you have what's best for us in store and it's still terrifying so would you give us courage? Jesus, would you speak? You are a God who has spoken since you spoke creation into existence and you are a God who still speaks, so would you speak to us? We may need to hear words of comfort that it's gonna be okay. We may need to hear words of rebuke that we have been running to Tarshish and it's time to turn around. We thank you that you are a God who allows us to turn around who empowers us to turn around, who embraces us as we turn around. Lord, there may be things in our hearts that we haven't thought of for years that you're wanting to work on. Would you make us open to that? Would you provide friends who can ask good questions? Would grace be known as a place where people care for one one another even more than they already do? Lord, would you give us courage to bear one another's burdens, and that means share the hard things in our lives. Because we know your story. You are good. You love us. You love those who don't yet know you. We know that you are forming us as your people. And we know that you are calling us on mission. And so would you do the work in our hearts that we need done? Would you do the work in our community as a whole as your people that we need done so that we can worship you and so that we can love your neighbor as you call us to? We pray this in your name. Amen.